one last extra special episode of Normandy FM before the holidays start. I mean, really, the holidays have already started. We're in the week what... of the holidays. Yeah, but, like, does that count? I mean, well, it depends on what holidays you celebrate, I suppose. And I think some are ongoing, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm not... I don't pretend myself to be a man knowledgeable of many faiths outside the one I was raised in. Um, and, and that one is just a mess because... <laughs> There's like four weeks leading up to Christmas or something, and there's like candles that you light every week and stuff. Being Episcopalian was wild, man. It's like it's like Catholic without all the Catholic guilt, which was cool. But then also like it felt like they made stuff up as you went. Never understood it. Sounds oh. like religion. Normandy FM, a podcast where we talk about video games sometimes and religion honestly probably pretty close to as often (laughs) (laughs) in last season yeah yeah especially with dragon age uh folks you the listeners at home know that we have finished our dragon age season and our mass effect season like we are through the what you would call i guess the core central pillars of modern bioware uh anthem doesn't count as a pillar that's more like maybe an ottoman but you know a crumbled cylinder on the ground yeah yeah you know just kind of hanging out there you know anthem anthem read what, what are they calling it anthem next i don't think they've ever said anything they Not i saw someone say anthem next once well i'm sure somebody I, made that up and it was like capitalized in a way that i was like is that actually what it's called but i've never seen it mentioned again and it's just kind of stuck in my head ever since hmm. maybe i don't know maybe that's what that who knows who, who can say who could possibly say except for the people working at bioware austin right now uh we are we are here, Eric Van Allen and Kenneth Shepard, in a much more relaxed environment because we wanted to do one last episode, both to uh, you know selfishly get ourselves to episode one hundred because come on, we're not well, going to close out the year without getting to episode one hundred. Well, this won't be numbered, so we won't get there till next year. What? No, we don't. We never. <laughs> wait, you you never number the episodes that aren't directly tied to one of the retrospectives because like I have to post on like like on our social media and stuff like episode 1 through 51 is mass effect every episode 52 to 99 is dragon age episode 100 to whatever is jade empire so like it's got to be there's gonna be clarity there for people yeah okay well we wanted to do a hundredth episode anyway even if it's not canonically the hundredth episode uh to do a q a with with our lovely listeners we did one uh earlier on in this in in our run i was gonna say in our season but i mean i don't think that's right um early on in our run and and it went pretty well and we enjoyed it so we thought hey let's uh close out the holidays you know it's a weird holiday uh some of us may have been in in the opportunity to be able to to live near their families in quarantine and safely practice a christmas together uh for many others myself included that's that ain't gonna happen so my christmas day is gonna be spent uh probably playing mass effect i'm not gonna lie there's like a part of me that wants to replay mass effect right now even though legendary editions come out i would say kind of early i'm just saying (laughs) um but we thought we'd do this little thing so y'all had something to listen to over the holidays you know something to even if you gotta dip away from a christmas party and be like oh this this is critical i gotta go listen to this and just listen (laughs) to the normandy fm podcast that's that's what we're here for ignoring the people you love (laughs) <laughs> most wonderful time of the year 
uh i mean so ken let's just do it the way we used to do it let's just trade back and forth with ones that we want to uh I'm, I'm counting back from one that's specifically addressed to me so if we do ken i'll start uh this i'm sorry if i butcher your name by the way especially if it's like a twitter name you know sometimes i just have to to guess based phonetically on the letters put in front of me but these are from normandy fm listeners patrons and anyone else who wanted to submit us a question the first one comes from the twitter handle basilius nate if you could change one story point about mass effect other than the ending what would it be well i wouldn't have changed the ending actually yeah um, i wouldn't have done that either so yeah i think that one i kind of go hands off on because i really just feel like that's in their hands to to rot whatever they can from it i i've harped pretty strongly about the weird like dissonance between jack being canonically mm-hmm. bisexual and not being dateable by female shepherds that's like the first thing that comes yeah. to mind and then i think if i was going to change something more substantive i maybe look for i i'd like tune up the rachni part of mass effect 3 mm-hmm. because i think that's always rubbed me a little like wrong too is that they're you know obviously the intent there was to have something where the people who let the rachni live had one mission and then maybe people who you know didn't let the rachni live ran into something else and instead just turned into like for whatever reason or not the rachni are back so i think either tuning that mission or finding some other way to incorporate that stuff uh or maybe even not having that mission if you killed the rachni or just Um, like an alternative one yeah i mean it's it also serves as the thing that causes grunt to either live or die so that's kind of could get messy but I feel like Bioware is at the place now where they could go back and address that a little bit better. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'd like to see something like that. I think those are those are the places I would hit. What about you, Ken? Uh, I think kind of like the right now would have been up there for me. Just like the thing that comes to my mind is like m- moments where choices didn't necessarily weren't necessarily reflected in the way that I would have liked. Like maybe uh, like something like the Human Reaper in Mass Effect Three. Like maybe that that whole little plot line is different or uh not there if you destroyed the base in mass effect 2 um but i think something that probably i i wish kyling was either just not in mass effect 3 or they had actually <laughs> done like the the legwork to make that rivalry that they were trying to make happen uh you know actually there instead of something they just kept insisting was there uh hmm yeah yeah i could definitely see a um a kai ling like yeah god man that mm. it's almost like it's so bad i wouldn't want to get rid of it (laughs) is that is that a is that a thing i mean i guess it's comical like like when you when you get like attached like the absurdity of like just how bad it is you know it's like there's a sentimentality to things that are bad there's there's something endearingly bad in many of our beloved franchises you you look at star wars and you have like the prequels and to some extent the ewoks like you know they were kind of this joke thing that that was still pretty critical to the main plot of the story but was also kind of ridiculous uh i'm trying to think of what that would be for lord of the rings i mean even though it was really badass the idea of giant tree people just like beating the hell out of a tower 
is pretty silly in in a vacuum i guess in the world of larger lord of the rings it still at least can make some sense but you know everything's got its little silly aspect and so this one was just a dude that kills somebody and then eats the cereal in their pantry you know (laughs) oh kyle Mm. lang ken what's our next question Uh, i've come from uh at notes by alex uh, 2020 has felt like the Dragon Age Origins Circle of Magi trip to the Fade spread over an entire year. In other words, it sucked. What works, parentheses, games, movies, books, music, etc., in parentheses, fictional or otherwise, have you used to make things easier? Any, any creative pursuits that have helped? Oh. Well, I mean... Normandy FM? Like... Yeah, Normandy FM has been one. Like, playing through Dragon Age definitely helped, especially I felt like around Dragon Age 2 was the thing that I definitely needed at the time because we ended up playing it right around the time that a lot of the protests and the Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter stuff was happening, and it just felt very relevant in in many of the situations. Um, And so that felt felt good. in terms of stuff that maybe isn't necessarily games, um, I watched a couple series. Like I watched um, the Queen's Gambit, which is very good, um, and uh, I did. I, I've been reading this since pre-quarantine, but there were two issues of Die, which is a comic series by Kieran Gillen, who's a former video games writer who, who became a comics writer. Um, and die is basically like what if jumanji was about dungeons and dragons uh and so like six kids get sucked into a dungeons and dragons game when they're like 19 and then they spring back out of it like i think a couple years later Mm. only one of their friends is not with them anymore and another one of them is missing an arm entirely uh and years later they get called back they basically all get a letter with their respective die on it saying like the the game's not finished yet and so they have to gather together and go back into the die world again Hmm. uh and they're like in their 40s at this point and i think it's been a really interesting take on it because normally it would be really obsessed with like the jumanji idea of look how crazy this is you're in a board game world oh my god it ends up being this like really weird meditation on like if you could escape to a fantasy world, would you do it? Because like, not to spoil like one of the larger conflicts in the narrative, but to leave the world of die to enter and to leave it, I believe they all have to agree to do it. Like they mm. all have to agree that they want to stay or they all have to agree that they want to live. And so let's say somebody had a terminal disease in the outside world mm. or somebody was going through a really rough divorce or somebody had their, their really interesting questions about, like identity in that thing because one of the characters is male in the real real world but their avatar in the game is female and what if they had a kid in the game (laughs) like Mm. um it gets into some really dark interesting places that like really really work i think um and i would i'm not a comic book person in general and it's been a series I've been absolutely obsessed with. So um, hmm. I recommend that highly. Uh, that's Die, D-I-E, by by Kieran Gillen, uh, who also, it, y'all might know The Wicked and the Divine, which is also an extremely good comic series that I started reading after I got into Die. Uh, 
which is about like what if the gods were alive in modern day uh and read both of them they're both extremely good they have made me think that comics can be all right so yeah i'd say those two and some music i guess like i don't know i didn't listen to a lot of new music this year ken i feel like you probably listen to more new music than i did Mm, maybe um Hmm. Uh, other than Normandy FM, which was like, even if Dragon Age is the thing I have like complicated feelings on now, like it was at least like there was a level of structure <laughs> to like mm-hmm. my week. Yeah, with yeah. that. Um, oh, Blazeball for structure during a week too. No. <laughs> yeah, by the way. <laughs> um, as for other things, like I, I did a lot of like having sort of like mini groups throughout the year, like you know some that yeah, didn't last yeah. and that did. Uh, of just playing certain games, like uh, there's a group that you and I both part of that we played Jackbox and then we moved to Among Us and more recently a handful of us are playing Overwatch now which is dope because Overwatch is kind of like my forever game right I'll now. I'll play with y'all eventually. I'll get I will the buy PS4. you the game. I will buy I'll it for bro- you. I'll get the PS4 version. I'm just mad it doesn't have cross progress so I can't put all my, my PC skins on the PS4 version. They need to yeah. fix that. Yeah. Maybe buy Overwatch too. Um, as for other things, the one of my biggest struggles in the midst of quarantine has been my movie consumption has completely changed. Like, for those that mm. don't know, like, I was at that theater multiple times a week, um, and since those aren't there, like, I I was sitting down and, like, thinking, what were, like, my favorite movies of 2020? And I was like, I didn't see anywhere near as many, just because they weren't, they were not coming to theaters, and, like, all the weird, like, deals and subscriptions everyone suddenly needs everyone to to do to see new movies makes that all very complicated and part of me is just like I'll just wait till theaters are back um so mm. honestly I don't know that I have an answer for that because I feel like most of what I did in 2020 was work related which was which is I mean games and that is not something that nobody hears me talk about at ad nauseum <laughs> throughout you know throughout the years so I don't know that I've got any good answers um I mean, my favorite movie was probably Spontaneous. It's, like, this new kind of, like, uh, black comedy, uh, mm-hmm. like, teenage romance star- starring uh, Catherine Langford, and it's, um, like, the trailers for it, like, make it look very, uh, like, very tongue-in-cheek, and it kind of is, but it also, like, is very, it, it's, it's kind of nihilistic, I guess, but it, it ends on a more hopeful, uh, hopeful note than it might appear at the beginning. Um, I don't read a lot of books, which is a problem. I know everyone, like, how can you be a writer? And you don't read books. And I was like, maybe it's why I'm a shitty writer. Um, uh, music, I, I kind of just, uh, get it as it comes. What I have, I did actually, okay, this is something. This was actually not for the majority of the year. This was maybe more or less two or maybe three months. I started watching TikTok a lot more often and Mm. the videos are, that's, you know, that's one thing, but it filled a void that Vine left for me when Vine went away was that it was a great place for me to discover music. Uh, and so, like, I have been finding a lot of new artists that way. Um, and, like, I know, like, TikTok appears on the outside to a lot of people, just, like, people with thinking dancing, but that is not what it is, especially when the algorithm hacks into your life and you get, like, very targeted shit. And, like, I, I never, like, made a TikTok or anything, but I get stuff that's, like, very directly about, like, queer stuff and occasionally, like, nerd things and dogs. So, like... You know, I don't open up that app and see a bunch of, like, teenagers dancing and, like, I don't, and lip-syncing, so TikTok has been something recently, yeah. Yeah, I've actually, like, this is maybe too much of a tangent, but maybe, like, veers into the creative pursuits part. 
but I was talking to people recently about how TikTok is like a much like I initially thought it was just Vine and you know like I knew Vine from like Vine memes and stuff like that and that was kind of how I engaged with that platform but I've been hearing a lot of people say that they get their news from TikTok or Mm -hmm. they get like you said like new music or, or stuff to watch or just interesting things I actually had an idea about starting because, you know, I'm about to have a lot more free time on my hands soon. (laughs) Uh, Seeing if there's like interest in some sort of like indie discovery vine or something like, or indie discovery TikTok or something like that. that, Hmm. Cause like, I've been thinking a lot about how indie games, like one of my favorites of the year, which we'll talk about near the end of this podcast, um, have trouble getting like widespread attention even within like if we talk about it within the press i i still feel like that's serving the readership that is attuned to reading games websites and there's so Mm. much more out there that we could talk about and so much more that we could be reaching and reaching further so i was almost thinking about making a tiktok account and just trying to do like some indie discovery stuff so You've got me thinking about that again, Ken. If any of you listen to this podcast and steal this idea, I will find you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Any creative pursuits, Ken? I I started... So my my two endeavors during quarantine, I, I stuck to one of them, which I am actually proud of because I did not think... I would stick to either one of them. Actually, no, there were three and I only stuck to one of them. I did not keep doing ring fit after like two weeks. Mm. Uh, so that was terrible. Um, and I probably need to pick that up again at the start of the new year because quarantine has not been kind to me being active and stuff. Mm. Um, but I meant to, I did brush up on my Spanish a bit, but oh, not okay. enough that I feel like coherent again because at one point i could like somewhat speak it you know just enough to get by in regular conversation not enough to have like a full-fledged conversation right but enough to you know like if i needed to find something or ask somebody for something or something like that it would not sound unnatural Hmm. um but the one i did stick with was i i've been learning chess i've been getting much better (laughs) at chess i used to have a very base level understanding of chess and i have actually always wanted to learn how to play it better and just never really found the time or tools and i think i found the right combination of just uh a lot of people are learning it right now obviously because like queen's gambit but also because it's apparently a big thing on twitch and all that stuff um Hmm. and i found the right youtube channels and i'm getting decent uh i'm hovering somewhere and i have not been playing online but i've just kind of been playing bots and like challenging myself to i'll set goals of like okay i'm going to beat this one and I'm allowed to use as many take backs as I want, but no hints. And now mm. I can use I can use like three hints and one take back. And now I have to beat this bot at this rating level without any take backs or hints. I just have to straight up beat this bot. And I've been working my way up to like the 1400, 1500 range doing that uh, while mm. also studying. So that's that's been pretty fun. Um, mm. It's been a way to like I use it as my cool down yeah. at the end of the night. Uh, yeah. Have you been uh, pursuing any stuff creatively? Uh, I mean, I did do mostly better about exercise until mainly like this past couple months. I've just been like not mm-hmm. willing to make myself do it. Um, but I did get my I did get a guitar, which I have not mm-hmm. played a guitar in like at least seven years. Um, kind of like tried to unlearn some bad habits. Like I'd never been able to use a pick before, but now I can. Um, I still don't like using a pick. I've, you know, 
I'm, I'm so much more attuned to using fingers and I feel like I only use a pick if I'm doing very basic like rhythmic strumming and not right. like playing a song if i'm yeah. like playing a song then i, I want to use my fingers yeah that's that's something i've had a problem too like i've been able to, to get strumming patterns down more with a pick but like in terms of like picking individual strings to do like yeah anything that's when it gets weird. that's when it sucks um yeah. also in the process of that like i always despite like i said in the last q and a like i was a vocal major at one point but i was never able to sing and play guitar at the same time that was just like something uh-huh. that i absolutely could not make myself do I and mean, i've gotten a decent at that now um like, it does have to be, like, a relatively simple thing on the guitar, but, uh, I'm able to do that, so that's something. Um, yeah, that's probably... Do you listen to music while you write, Ken? Yeah. Do you listen to music with lyrics while you write? Yeah. The next time you're doing it, try singing along while you're writing. I... That, mm. that, it, that has helped me, because I am now at the point where I can easily do that and write a sentence that is like whole cloth my own while also just like humming or singing along to a song and i don't know if that's because my mind is able to split those portions of my brain Mm. easily now but um Mm. but yeah it does it it takes time it took me probably i'd say a year of of like really working at it to get to the point where i could be like strumming the guitar and also singing and even now like i'm only just at the point where i can comfortably play something that's got like complex picking in it and sing at the same time. And even yeah. then, like I have to spend time with individual songs to make sure I can get, get my hands on it right. as it were. So yeah. that was a fun question. Thank you. Notes by Alex. Um, DJ storm again. What up DJ storm again? How you doing? Uh, you ask what initially drew you to playing video games. Do you remember the first game you ever deeply loved? And why was it special to you? Deeply loved. Oof. That's a, yeah. that's a qualifier. Um, <laughs> I don't know what 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 is love. Maybe don't hurt me. Um, I mean, I I was playing video games for as long as I can remember because my dad was a hashtag gamer. Um, he like he compete when when he used to work at his old company. He would compete in Quake tournaments and stuff like that, <laughs> and and he had like a gaming pc and a, a nintendo with duck hunt and a, a sega genesis and all that um so i grew up around games just generally and i always thought they were i mean like what little kid doesn't think video games are cool um but the first so the first video game i remember getting specifically excited about to play um because, like, I even had my own PlayStation 1 and stuff like that, but I'd really just play, like, Ape Escape on it and stuff. I didn't... In fact, I think I just had a demo disc for Ape Escape, and I played that one level over and over again. Um, but uh, Final Fantasy X was probably, like, the first time... That was around the time that I started buying, like, Game Informer magazines and reading about them. And I just remember looking at the spreads of screenshots and stuff in magazines and being like, oh, my God, this looks incredible. I have to play this video game. This looks amazing. Um, and I guess the first game that I ever deeply loved was probably also Final Fantasy X. Um, mm-hmm. just because that was, it, it was just unlike anything. I mean, I think a lot of people's first Final Fantasy game that they get drawn into ends up being not only their favorite, but also like it just has a special connection because that's a type of video game that 
for a long time, and I'd say even today, you really can only get that sort of thing in a Final Fantasy. Like, it has mm-hmm. a very specific brand of, like, production and sweeping epicness to it and all that. Um, maybe it's lost that by the wayside in recent years, but... <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's it. Final Fantasy X is pretty up there, or maybe like, oh no, you know what? Pokemon was before that. That was I, gonna be my answer. I yeah. specifically remember getting way into Pokemon, um, because I like if Final Fantasy X was the thing that I got like emotionally invested in and was like, oh, games can tell stories and stuff like that. Like Pokemon was, I carried that fucking Game Boy everywhere, man. Mm. Like that was attached to my hip, and that's also like why I have such a deep attachment to Nintendo and Nintendo handhelds in general. Is because my first personal console that I owned was a Game Boy, and so mm. like I would play Link's Awakening and red and blue and um i'm trying to think of the other ones i had on the game boy because then i got like a game boy advance and that's where i really went down the rabbit hole with like advance wars and fire emblem and stuff but yeah yeah um i think that i think all of it being special is just for final fantasy it was like it was this big production this big thing where i was like oh games can tell stories and stuff like that and then i think for final fantasy or not for uh, for the game boy and stuff it was a social experience, and I think that's the one this movie stuck with me the most, is that games can be social forums and a place where you can meet other people and talk to people and experience new things within the confines of a virtual environment and stuff like that. So I think that's mm-hmm. where it started for me. Well, you can. Mm-hmm. It's a... Like, when you when you ask what initially drew you to playing video games, that implies, like, a version of your life in which you had to seek it out yourself. Yeah. Because I, like like you, I, like I was I was born into a house in which there were already video games present. Like my dad had an NES, which I'm actually I can see it in the corner of my room right now, and um, my sister had a Game Boy, so like they were already there, and it was just like a thing that was in my life. Um, as for I get, like what the first game that I deeply loved was like, part of me would would want to say that Spyro the Dragon was that, but also. When you ask me like, what I deeply love, like uh, what games I deeply love, I still am, I have like a part of me that's like if I don't deeply love it now, I must not have deeply loved it as much as I thought back then. Mm-hmm. I think like when you have like a very specific like childlike attachment to something, and it doesn't stick with you in the same way, that kind of informs my answer to this kind of question. Because like I I do really enjoy the Spyro games, but like I did like Spyro's Dragon, the first one was like my absolute like most favorite thing on the PlayStation. Um, but I don't think that. It is stuck with me the same way that Pokemon did, like Pokemon Yellow very specifically. Like we, I, my, for those who don't know, I, I have a twin brother, and our sixth or seventh birthday, um, we got our we got a copy of Red Version, and for my my brother's favorite Pokemon is Charmander, or like that that family of Pokemon. And mine is always Pikachu. So like when when Yellow Version came out, and I got that, and that was my own thing that like I like I gave my brother the Red Version because I had Yellow, and that was mine. That was the point where I was like, this is like you know, my my thing, this world that I can exist in. And I think the world of Pokemon is something that has stuck with me the longest. It's like mm. that universe is... Although I have, like, issues with, like, the way that Game Freak does its world, but in the way that it ties into, like, the mechanics of, like, trying to catch every Pokemon, like, finishing the Pokedex. And I don't... I think it kind of undermines it that way. But, like, the, the mystery and adventure of that world was something that stuck with me and has to this day with almost every iteration. Like, I, I'm still picking through... Uh, Ultra Moon, because like that particular setting of Alola just doesn't 
resonate with me the other ways do. But um, the Gala region and Sword and Shield gave me that same feeling uh, that I got with, like, Kanto and Johto and Owen and Sinnoh. Um, and then there's, like, that weird gray area of, like, things that were in the middle where I was kind of, like, not as invested at the time. But, um, so yeah, I think Pokemon Yellow was that first instance of this thing that I was, like, very much attached to in an emotional sense. Um, I still got my copy on my shelf. Like, I have, I have a dedicated Pokemon shelf of, like, all my Pokemon games and other things. Um, and, yeah, I think that's probably my answer for that. Um, it... Uh, maybe this is, like, unpacking, like, a bigger thing than DJ Stormbreaker is asking, but, like, I don't know that I have an, an attachment to video games as a medium that I used to, and I'm just, I, I get very specifically attached to specific games in a way that, um, I don't know, it's, like, I do, I not to say that I don't love video games, but, like, I, the medium itself does not is not the thing that I'm attached to. It is more just, like, very specific ones that have stuck with me forever. Yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. All right. Uh, next question is from uh, Meow Mazel. Uh Eric, who's your favorite com- <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3 companion so far and why? Um, oh, geez. Uh, I mean, so I... Full disclosure... I hit a point where I got further in it, but I didn't get all the way to the end of what's currently available. Uh, I kind of made like a conscious choice that I had seen enough of what I wanted to see of that game and that I would just stop playing. I think that was especially reinforced when they issued the most recent update, which um, if you're not aware, and this is how Divinity Original Sin 2 worked as well, they update the story as it goes on. Um, and eventually, like, this is what's in the early access is Act 1 of what will be, like, a much larger game. But they updated stuff that was in the first part of the game as well. I mean, even if you played it then, like, one of my favorite things to note uh, is that some of the romance scenes were not in, but the dialogue was. So you get, like, this really weird cut to a scene where... It, it would have this graphic of one of the mind flayers, which if you don't know what those are, they're basically like these Cthulhu creepy priest looking dudes with tentacle faces. Uh, and it would say under construction, but then like dialogue would be playing under it where it's like, Oh yeah, do it to me. <laughs> like, it's, okay. and I was like, this is very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. Um, but uh, they they updated story stuff with the most recent one, which means that story saves from any previous patch are not compatible. So basically, you would have to start over if you wanted to. And they, they let you like branch off and basically say, like, don't give me any more updates until I tell you to. And then that will keep your save compatible. But then obviously, you can't see the new stuff. Um, so that, that just kind of hit a point where I was like, okay, you know, I have gotten my taste of what this game is. And uh, I will circle back around when it is more complete slash fully complete. Mm. Um, that being said, I did put probably about like 10 to 12 hours into it, I want to say. Um, and I I would say that uh, oddly Shadow Heart, and not for the reasons that most people like Shadow Heart. And this is a very roundabout answer to get there, but... Um, Lazel was like my romance companion and I like that story a lot. Um Asterian is a is a great like just 
oh my god he's so good he's 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 a vampire who's got like class and stuff like that and he's very much like i don't want to eat a pig that's disgusting but i'll nibble on your neck and it's like oh <laughs> man he's such a fuckboy vampire i love him but uh and gail is basically if you made alistair from from dragon age into a wizard that like that's just his whole vibe but uh Shadowheart, everyone loved her because she felt like the most default romance option. And I feel like most people got that because they made very bog standard characters or they made like quote unquote hot characters. Uh, like I talked to people who just made some very, you know, like straightforward human characters and they're like, oh yeah, Shadowheart, you know, she loves me. And then I know somebody who played a drow character um which is basically just like sexy elf <laughs> and uh they were like oh yeah shadowheart like wanted to jump me the first moment she saw me uh i played githyanki which is the same race as uh lazelle and shadowheart racist as fuck man they like just completely racist against githyanki like wanted to murder me i had to do multiple die rolls and persuasion checks to even get her to companion with me um but oddly enough she feels like what i wanted from ashley williams as a character Mm -hmm. and that she grows as the story goes and kind of comes to realize that she does hold preconceived notions about races that she needs to re-examine and like and to be clear like she is a racist piece of shit a lot of the time towards my githyanki character she also has to begrudgingly accept that we are in a terrible situation where we both have tadpoles that are going to consume our brain and turn us into mind flayers so we need to work together and through that she kind of at least comes to understand that she should be a somewhat better person while also holding a lot of personal motivations that are hard to suss out and make her a very in-depth character like I she is what I wanted from Ashley Williams if that makes sense and I think that's why she's interesting um and much like Ashley Williams there are many people who played this game and did not realize there was that aspect of that character or just overlooked it (laughs) so um she has been fascinating to me for that reason uh I'm interested to see what the other companions they add are because I think they've said that they have only put in uh if you're familiar with the D&D alignment chart they've only put in the neutral and evil companion characters so far and there are still good companion characters to put in um i think one of them is already kind of floating around has been found in the files and stuff i'm interested to see what those characters are like but um yeah that that that's probably about it uh i like Baldur's gate 3 a lot it's it's a cool thing i think it's something that we should even possibly consider doing on here at some point though that would probably be in the far off future because it usually takes them a while to get from that first early access launch to launching and uh Baldur's gate 3 seems to be a very very large game so hmm. um that's that's a far off future idea and not a near future idea um and ken you have played i mean the the most Baldur's gate 3 you have played was I made a character for you through discord that you like directed me through. And then mm. I had to design the, the object of your desires because <laughs> it makes you do that. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a character. I think Ken would find hot. And I, I feel like I did all right. I feel like I did. I, I did. Okay. You still got screen, yeah. screenshots of them? I don't know if I have screenshots of that. I can double check. 
Um, I just remember I made it like the demon character, yeah. Yeah. but it had a beard, which was important. You know, I <laughs> recognize all aspects of Ken. <laughs> so, um, Nardy Views from Twitter asks, who are your favorite non-player slash non-companion characters in Mass Effect and Dragon Age? Uh, and then a second question, which Mass Effect and Dragon Age books and comics are worth reading? Which ones added most to the lore? Uh, let's do that one first, because I have not read any, really, of the Mass Effect or Dragon Age books. I'm, like, aware of them, and I was kind of thinking about picking up the Liara comics at some point, because mm. that seems interesting. But most of it, I just know through doing research online uh, to to like get the gist of things for the podcast i've never sat down and read any of them but ken i know you've read a fair few of them basically all of them um well okay actually scratch that uh up front i actively don't read or consume most of the dragon age uh extended lore because bioware makes up their own canon and it's like there's no point in me reading or consuming any of this if it's going to be just like spitting in the face of the games that i played um, as for Mass Effect, uh, it's complicated because, like, I don't know that they are all necessarily great, but I think just about all of them have something worthwhile to see if you care about that world, and something that is generally, like, funneling into the games in a, in a meaningful way. Um, as for the books, the first four were in the Milky Way, and they were, Anderson was involved in all of them. So if you like Anderson and you want to know who Kaylee Sanders was, like how that relationship came to be, and also get like a glimpse to when Kyling didn't suck as much as he does now, um, those are all pretty good. Like uh, in terms of like most impactful on the world, uh, Revelation is the very first one, and it actually it, I think it came out before the game did, and it was about like how Saren and Anderson met and their relation, their their rivalry, and how that came to be. Um, as for the Andromeda books, all of them are pretty good. The, uh, the one of them that I'm like kind of on is the uh, initiation, Mass Effect Andromeda initiation, which is about Korra. If you don't give a shit about Korra, I don't know that you're gonna care about that book either way. Um, but the other two, Nexus Uprising, which is the story of the uh, how the the Nexus get into Andromeda and like how there were, like, these, the, like, the lines of secession were as it were, and how it ended up with Tan being in, in charge of the initiative, and, uh, how the Krogan became disenfranchised with the initiative in, in general. Like, in terms of, like, you know, you know, in the, in the game you learn a, a lot about all that stuff through dialogue and, like, being told about it as a writer later. So it's just, it is really interesting to, like, have all these characters who you do meet in the games and, like, really see how they got to the point they are by the time you actually arrive in Andromeda. But, um, Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation is probably the best, like, single best Mass Effect book, um, and it is the one that is about the Corian arc and, uh, wrapping up that storyline, and based on the way it ends, I don't know if there were, like, changes made to kind of answer questions that weren't going to be answered in DLC, but it's very good, and the Mass Effect Andromeda book specifically, I would maybe recommend getting the audiobooks of because the uh, readings are done by the voice actors of both writers. Uh, the first two are done by female writer. The third one is done by a uh, male writer. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to Tom Taylorson, who 
is doing voices for like all of these different like uh, species in the Mass Effect universe, like doing an Elcor, a Batarian, a Drell, like, and you know, really going for like really showing a lot of range. So those are all all worth uh, looking into. Uh, don't read um, Mass Effect Deception because it was it has a lot of like weird factual errors that Bioware once said that they were going to address and like release a new version of that book, but that was eight years ago, so that's not happening. Um, <laughs> As for the comics, yeah, the, the Liara one you mentioned, Mass Effect Redemption, is the story of Liara finding Shepard's body and getting them to Cerberus. So that's like, you know, and everything that happened with the Shadow Broker. So if you want to understand why Liara is the way that she is at the beginning of Mass Effect 2, that is that. Um, there are a bunch of like little ones, like little mini comics that are like Incursion and Inquisition, which are about, like, one of them about Arya, one of them about Bailey. Like, you know, they, these really like small side stories, uh, about, you know, just... Even characters, like, on the kind of like, the outskirts of what's happening with Shepard. Um, uh, then there's Mass Effect Invasion, which was also about Arya, and it was basically the equivalent of um, Redemption, in that it was the lead into the Omega DLC, so that is another thing that's worth looking into. Um, but one of pro- what is probably my favorite uh, is Mass Effect Foundation, which is... I want to say it had, like, 13, 14 or so uh, comics, and they are basically, like, little origin stories of every fucking character in the Mass Effect series, like, or every, like, squad mate, and they they were coming around out around the t- same time as the Citadel DLC, so they, they were, like, nostalgic and wanted to give everyone their due, so, like, even characters that didn't get a lot of love in a lot of external media or, um, like, Caden are actually, like, existing, like, these quote-unquote quantum states of, like, being where they couldn't be and stuff that was, like, post-Mass Effect 1 they had their own origin comics to uh, do. But um, I believe you can get all of those comics in, like, a collection now. Um, like a, like a you know, huge uh, art book-sized uh, collection. And that's worth doing. I think, like, it, not every individual comic is great, but, like, just having access to all of that, uh, those, those side stories, that lore, I think is worthwhile. Um, yeah, I think... I, th- I think it, d- it really just depends on the amount of investment you have in the series beyond the games. Uh, because as a person that is, like, Mass Effect is my favorite thing, I'm like, I want to read all of these. Um, yeah. And then there's the movies, which... Oh, I guess you didn't ask about the movies, but also that is, like, a, a form of external media. They are... I haven't watched them in a, lo- in a very long time, so they might be just fucking terrible, and I just don't remember. But they were fine. Like, they're just... They're, they're fine. Nothing to be upset about. Um, I do want to watch Paragon Lost at some point. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that one is the one that has hung out there as like the I think we floated the idea of doing a watch along uh, yeah. audio for it before and stuff, but it just seems very. I I want to see if they can somehow make me care about Vega. <laughs> mm. don't I don't know it. if they can. Um, what about? Uh, favorite non-player, non-companion characters in Mass Effect and Dragon Age. I think for me, that's that's gonna go to Scout Harding. Um, okay. I dug Scout Harding a lot in Inquisition. They were a character where I was like, it really feels like they should have put more in here. Uh, mm. Also, Dagna because I feel like Dagna mm. is going to be very important moving forward. And yep. having having her come back in Inquisition was a very smart pull. I think, yep. um, like a cool way to reintegrate integrate that character. Mm. Um, and I guess like in Mass Effect, uh, there's Kirahi. I'm a big fan of Kirahi. 
um and also uh the biotic god <laughs> mm. uh mm. oh and any elcor period any elcor character <laughs> i love mm. them all let mm. me play as an elk like, give me an elcor companion doesn't even have to be like party member just have them on my ship have mm. me develop deep connections with an elcor that is what i would like thank you i i don't know that i've got that many for dragon age i think sandal is like a standout for me in oh, the series yeah um Wait, was, well hold on hold on hold on hold on was sandal not an in inquisition he was not that feels wrong man. it is wrong it's i just now had that click in my brain and that feels wrong man yeah uh, Flemeth is also up there, but they did her dirty, so... <laughs> mm. um, as for Mass Effect, I mean, Joker is, like, an easy answer. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. God, and, like, I didn't like Joker think of Anderson, him as a like... not... I didn't think of him as not a companion. That's how much that character is, like, ingrained into that yeah. party. Yeah. Huh. Mm. Oh, there's so many, so many characters. I'm, I'm sorting through in my brain. Mm. Yeah, I think those are those are my standouts. I feel yeah, oh, I and Doctor Chakwas, Doctor Chakwas. Yeah, yeah, Chakwas. Yeah. Who doesn't love Chakwas? Chakwas is great. Going yeah. to go get hammered with Chakwas after this. <laughs> um, uh, is it your turn or my turn? I forgot. I think, I it's, think your it's my turn. turn. Uh, yeah. At uh, Ryan Fry asks, "Are you guys going to play Cyberpunk? And if so, why? Why not? <laughs> Only asking as everyone seems to be talking about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they I mean, sure we, are. <laughs> we both have. Uh, I am at the end game like i have i i've been told that i need to do like a couple of the quote-unquote companion quest lines before i go to the ending so i'm gonna do that because like i, uh, I, th- I maybe you just need to do one or two <laughs> well okay i'm i'm trying I've, to do panams and judy's yeah yeah okay yeah um so like i i'm this close to the end so i'm just like i might as well finish it um i largely don't enjoy it uh, there are moments where, like, the loop of, like, the actual loop of, like, the stealth works out for me because, like, you got these hacking abilities and, like, I can hack their uh, their optics. So, like, they can't see me sneaking about. And I'm like, that, that feels good to me. That is that is what I want. And so, like, the, the, but it's also, like, in the midst of, like, a bunch of, like, the game cra- has crashed on me at least 12 All times. The time. um, yeah. And generally the world of Cyberpunk, I think, is just, like, hot garbage without any silver lining like it's just how awful can we make things for everyone here without anyone actually like doing much in the terms of like making substantial changes and i was not a fan of the witcher 3 not necessarily not because of any it's like writing but because of like the actual way it played did not jive with me so like mm-hmm. it was weird to come into cyberpunk and like see this game that is like so like, I mean, it has moments. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, like, the writing is, like, trash the entire time. Because, like, there are scenes and quests that I think are really good. But it's, like, this overtly racist and transphobic and uh, just, like, it, people that I respect the absolute hell out of that love The Witcher are, like, tearing into this game. Because, like, it, it almost feels like two separate teams made it just, like, a, that are under, the like, the mm-hmm. same name. Um, and I don't know, like, what the overlap is. But, like, the writing... I was always led to believe that the writing of The Witcher 3, even though I didn't get very far into it, was, like, superb. And it's, like, that is, like, something that really sticks out to people about that game. And just, like, this game, like, walked into, like, a field of rakes and just never stopped. 
and I don't know like I mean I there are moments where like I feel like there is something like there's like a team or like a couple people in the writing team of this game that like write things that I know if they got like more if like they got more space to exist in like the uh the process I might have liked this game a lot more um Mm -hmm. but then it's just like a game that is like actively harmful in the way the way that portrays people and like and like i was uh makes very strange choices about it too like very weird divisions that don't feel like they line up with the cyberpunk future they're portraying yeah like like having your i think it's your gender is tied to the tone of your voice or something like you're either a masculine or feminine character like you can have different body types but your voice is what ties it to the gender which feels very weird and something like they could have just easily gotten around but yeah and like it's just Oh, like there, there are like so many different ways it tries to like define what your character is while giving you tools that ostensibly would subvert that, mm-hmm. but just they don't give you like the tools to actually like fully express yourself and like represent yourself as the character of V. That I think like like the, the tools are there to make it happen, but they like pigeonhole them and like make it like the definitions of who a person is so rigid in the weirdest way that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I just, I ultimately, like, I've, I've, I'm finishing the game, like, probably, like, within the week, and I feel like I took nothing of value from it. Like, it is a game that, like, I mean, I, I was about to say, like, it's functional, but it literally is not, but, like, the game just, it starts and ends, and I, I don't feel like I'm taking anything positive away from it. I, like, I, I'm taking plenty negative, but, like, despite the fact that, like, I got through it with, like, flashes of things that I enjoyed... Nothing about this game stays with me in a positive way. So, um... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I I also have been playing it. I am in spitting distance of the end, too, though I'm not sure if I'm going to actually finish it. Um, I hit a point where I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I, I think I got spoiled on, like... I got spoiled on something very minor, like a location of where the end game takes place. And I was like, wait, I just played a quest where that was referenced. What What do you mean that takes place there? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, this game's way shorter than I thought it was. Like, this is a very short... Like, all the reviews that were saying you could beat this campaign in 20 hours, totally understand it now. Like, I'm surprised it took some folks 20 hours. <laughs> like, mm. um, And... <laughs> I, this this game seems like it should be for me because so i like deus ex um and that seems to be like a significant part of this game feels like you're playing deus ex especially mm-hmm. if you were a stealth character in deus ex um which ironically i feel my in other games i in some missions to be clear i do actually play that like stealth i'm going to sneak around if i get spotted i'm going to reload my quick save and all that uh, but other missions, I'm just like, well, I'm going to sneak for as long as I can, but at some point I'm just going to say fuck it and start shooting <laughs> because um, I don't feel like the stealth feels that great. First-person stealth is really, really hard to nail. I feel like yeah. there's very few games in history that have ever done it well, yeah. uh, and I think this game struggles. And, and yeah. to be clear, like I think Cyberpunk is the story of a dev that got really good at making one kind of game over over the course of three games. Uh, because even just if you ever go back and play the witcher one which you 
should and shouldn't because that will show you the gap between CD Projekt Red when they start on something and when they when they end on something because mm. The Witcher 1 uh, was buggy, messy, uh, had a really bad combat system, uh, feels extremely dated, uh, was really misogynistic. Like There was a, a whole system where you would get trading cards for sleeping with women in mm. uh, just a way that, I mean was maybe somewhat close to the intent of the books, but even then I've read some of the Witcher books and even they don't have as many issues. And I feel like that's also getting like fixed up with the current run of the TV series, which is very good, by the way, everyone should, if, if you want to see what, what is doable in this universe, you know, maybe go check that out. And I'm actually like excited for the cyberpunk anime series because of that. Um, but by the time they got to Witcher 3, they were like, okay, we figured out how to do third-person combat. We figured out how to do quest building. And we figured out how to, how we want to do writing in this universe. And it all just melds together very well. And this is them back at, like, square one with mm. something completely new. And also, The Witcher didn't have to deal with some of the questions in the writing that I think Cyberpunk does. Like, as we no- noted, the... Uh, one of the big things about a cyberpunk future is like the body question if that makes sense like if your body is completely moddable you know in parts are essentially interchangeable like they would be in a car you know it feels strange that they are still defining things by masculine and feminine and that they're still creating that delineation and that and that that world doesn't seem as equipped to deal with that sort of language as even the modern day one does because they still use weird phrases like oh yeah she's my output and stuff like that where it's i'm like the fuck like (laughs) yeah i I wrote about this a little a a little today and it was about how like for a game that like is in it's talking about how fluid, like, the human experience, like, the human body experience is. It is, has a very rigid perception of, like, sexuality and I feel like the what fact makes... that there are dildos everywhere kind of yeah. sums that up neatly. Is like, okay, let's ask, you know, like, what's what does... We're sexual. How do we show we're sexual? Throw dildos everywhere. Yeah, like, that's and such also, a base-level understanding of what sexuality is. Right, and also, like, we kind of, like, we didn't even touch on this. The game's treatment of sex workers is abhorrent like i oh my god yeah yeah like it's so much so much about the, the game's use of sex is like meant to be shock value and like really i don't even i don't think it's worth getting into spoilers of some of the things like some of like the absolute like garbage that this game throws out and especially in relation to one character um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, we've you talked and I about have, this we have we've talked about yep, this yeah. yeah i mean it's it sucks. It it sucks, and yeah. it, it sucks too because one of the first factions they introduce you to is the mocks, and Who they have are done nothing inc- worth the damn the entire game. I've like mm. so the further you go into Judy's Judy's stuff is specifically about the mocks. Um, but I will say, like it kind of sucked to have that be like your opening, you know, your your lead off batter that like hey here's this awesome gang of sex workers who were being taken advantage of by all these other gangs so they picked up a bunch of baseball bats and said fuck you we run ourselves mm-hmm. and i'm like these people rule <laughs> like how yeah. do i how do i become part of them and i know like there were a lot of things about um stuff that was maybe that was teased at previous previews and stuff like that that never made it into the gang into the game um and like gang stuff was part of that 
um and and that that alone would have been really cool but like it feels really jarring to go from there to like where some of the side quest story goes where it like the nomads get a really cool line of side quests with with pan am and Mm. and you really get an insight into those characters it doesn't feel at least for me maybe if i get further it will get better but the initial stuff with judy and the mocks does not really get there for me and this is all my way of saying like if i was going to rate it like it'd be like a six out of ten for me or so it's like i think this game is serviceable like i don't think it's you know it functions at least on my pc it does but yeah um, and for context i'm playing on ps5 and i've had like in terms of like the game actually like running and like having game breaking bugs i haven't had really any major issues like no but it crashes constantly mm -hmm. like yeah and it like it it what it really reminds me of, and, and this is funny for me because I got a lot of shit for this back in the day, but, like, it reminds me of Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which is another game that I feel, like, takes the aesthetic of a thing and mm-hmm. doesn't really do anything more with that. Like, the world just... like, And we can talk about the writing, and there's there's so much to talk about the writing, but even just the world feels empty at times yeah. and it feels like there was not a concerted effort to make it feel like a cyberpunk world it feels like an open world game that has a bunch of tech stuff going on in it if that makes sense like it it looks different but it, it feels very superficial and right. i I, I I hit a lot of moments in this game where I'm like, why is this an open world game? <laughs> like, yeah, this this it actually like feels strange that it's an open world game because, as best I can tell, it's just open world because that's how you make big video games these days. Right. But like the driving isn't great. Like I'm not oh, no. really enjoying and cars driving is around. Terrible. Like yeah, the cars handle in this game like some of the worst I've ever. Like I don't play a ton of open world games because I don't like them. But, like, in terms of, like, the actual... It's, like, Mako levels of, like, uh-huh. not handling well. And the side quests you can do, they're, like, the, the quote-unquote radiant side quests or whatever, uh, similar to, like, Skyrim or whatever. They're pretty basic. They're kind of just, like, sneak in, you know, kill a cyber psycho or, or, you know, like, steal a thing or whatever and sneak back out and you're done. Like, that's it. That's the quest. Like, I... There's it just feels like a lot of missed opportunities in a way that I, I could see how this thing through it. It doesn't just need technological tune-ups. It needs like some big DLC expansions to make this world feel more alive and to mm. add more, just more things to this world. And if it could add a thing, I'd love it to add a silent mode for that fucking mm. cell phone because mm. that shit during the act one epilogue where you're in a car like escaping from this big heist that you've just done and you're being pursued by these drones and stuff and it's like very tense and everything's you know very dramatic i start getting a call from some random person who's like hey by the way i got like a gig i need you to do for me down the street can you do that and i'm like do you not understand where i am right now video game like you're putting me in a story scene and i'm getting texts about somebody who wants to sell me their car (laughs) Mm. um all that to say like it's not gonna be on my top 10 year list year end list it's it it's fine is capital f fine it is okay i think it's really and we'll talk about this further down the question list uh but i think it is profoundly stupid the amount of 
ire that certain people got for saying as much before the game came out and then the game came out and everyone was like oh they were right probably even a little bit charitable (laughs) like that's um but we can talk more about that in a later question because there's another person who asked specifically about that stuff so we can talk about that then um andrew we're out of the twitter questions and we're into the i believe email slash patron questions andrew asks this question may be an unholy mess to unravel but here it goes (laughs) hey look we love unholy messes around here with all the deep dives and characters from mass effect and dragon age this may seem repetitive but if you were able to bring a character into real life from each series to hang out with you in this bonkers years of 2020 who would it be and why they are feeling caden and dorian though garris and cassandra are also choices um and they also say something very nice at the end letting us know how awesome we are uh happy to hear from you andrew thank you so much um if i was gonna hang out with one of the characters from the series first of all i feel like bringing an alien into this world or any sort of fantasy creature person into this world would be a bad idea so um, you can't eat what you got yeah yeah i can't give garris any of my foodies it's gonna make him sick so uh, I guess to that extent, I'd probably say like Dr. Chakwas or something like that. Like just somebody I could have like a chill afternoon with, hang out, you know, like, mm. or Joker, you know, maybe uh, Joker might get grating after a while. Uh, <laughs> how long can you stand to be quarantined? Yeah, short, short burst. Yeah. If the question is if we could be quarantined with them, I'd probably have to go with like a Dragon Age character. I guess then if it's quarantine, could do like, I don't know. Meryl seems like she'd always be getting up to new hijinks, you know, creating new dark magic you gotta deal with. That'd be fun. Or like Varric. Varric yeah, Varric. Varric's my answer. Varric would be chill to hang out with. Mm. Uh, so if we're doing it from each series, I'm bringing Kate and Dorian, because if I'm gonna be quarantined with anyone, it's gonna be the people I can have sex with. Yeah, I mean, look, this 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 could be a horny question, so you it could is, go the it's, horny question. I took it as a horny question, so there you go. There we go um speaking of horny will bang okay asks (laughs) oh i I took that away that should be well we've got a couple here so why don't i read this first one off and then you could read the next two maybe um how have you noticed your guys chemistry and comfort level evolve throughout the life of the podcast so far you got no idea (laughs) (laughs) ken and i have known each other for what feels like 20 years in the span of five six i mean Oh yeah, I guess it has been six. Cause wait, yeah, PlayStation Experience twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've known each other for quite some time, and I mean we've been podcasting for just as long, and we talk on I'd say a pretty much daily basis at this point. Yeah. So like yeah, like, if 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 not like full blown conversations, like at least exchanges about yeah, like things. DMs and stuff like that. Yeah, we speak every so. day. Yeah. No, we've, we, we had, I feel like chemistry specifically, maybe we've gotten better about that over the years because obviously it takes a while for people who are podcasting together to develop that sort of rapport. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe we've gotten to a better point with that over the course of Norm DFM. I remember like Mass Effect season one, we're still kind of getting our cadence down and stuff. Whereas by the time we got to like the end of Mass Effect three, we were just very, we were clicking into gear. Yeah, and by that point, like, we had not podcasted together for at least, like, two years, just because we had left that hell site that we were on, and, um, mm-hmm. had not really done podcasts together since. But, uh, we also, when we were doing those shows, it was typically us and also other people alongside us, so mm-hmm. 
Normandy FM has been a lot of one-on-one episodes. Like, majority of them have been one-on-one episodes. So I think that makes things easier. Like, the actual... Because, like, like I mean, not to say that I don't, like, enjoy having guests, but, like, when you have another person on, it does somewhat change the cadence of the show. Just because, like, you were acknowledging more than another person when you're having conversations. And it's kind of like... Um, yeah, so I think in terms of uh, our chemistry, like, one-on-one, I think Normandy FM has been very good for that. And I think that is just the nature of when you podcast with an individual every week for two years, that just, you know, reaches a whole other level. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and Will Bang OK also has a couple of ideas. Uh, you guys should okay, do a Normandy FM, Normandy FM Christmas special. Do a run of like two, two or three <laughs> being a total dick and a renegade to see who comes, who comes to your Christmas party at the Citadel DLC, or, you know, something like that. I mean, this is sort of Christmas special, like... Yeah, I think this is our Christmas special. I'd floated the idea of doing like a stream on Christmas Day or whatever, but that would probably just be a thing that I do. Um, but I will say that we have floated the idea of doing more Normandy FM streams in particular because folks seem to show up for that and enjoy it when we do the when we stream like various Bioware games and stuff like that. So mm. that's definitely I think in the cards. Yeah. Uh, they also say uh, you guys should add a segment called hot takes where once in a while you fill your broadcast schedule a bit by having a shorter episode of a random game you feel like doing and unload all the hot takes give us give for a nice breather maybe so we did at one point talk about it when in the midst of like trying to figure out what we're gonna do the show post bioware uh like maybe doing like one-off episodes but in terms of like the time investment for like like something that makes the, the structure of normandy fm is that we can play you know like a sizable chunk of a game and that be all that we need to do that week and mm-hmm. we don't have to kind of like burn our way through it or you know wait till the end to talk about it because this way like when things are segmented this way we can really dissect things in like a very like minuscule way like uh talking about individual moments of the section mm-hmm. we talk we are talking about that week so and we have some ideas like sometime around uh middle of next year that might be a little bit more towards that where we can talk more holistically about a game in a single episode or maybe explore specific concepts in depth in a way that the retrospective format did not really let us do but i think as a whole we found that doing the week by week retrospective like segmented episodes is what kind of jives with people and what uh, is appealing about us in general, even outside of the Bioware stuff. So, uh, I I feel like that we still manage to bring up our hot takes every week. It's <laughs> like we could like segmenting it would just make it feel like work. Whereas I just enjoy every once in a while throwing a random take about Cyberpunk or Baldur's Gate three into the discussion. <laughs> so maybe leaving it there is is for the better. Uh, but y'all should hear Ken's hot takes about the news sometime. It's, they're great. They're great. <laughs> um, Brody, thank you. Thank you, by the way. We'll bang okay. Uh, Brody reaches out. Uh, they've got two questions here. Hey, guys. Wanted to say at the beginning that I've enjoyed your Mass Effect Dragon Age podcast. and looking forward to Jane Empire. Thank you. That being said, ooh, <laughs> I'm curious about how the show is going to work after you've moved on from Bioware. I know you said what's coming up won't be a Bioware game, but what is your decision-making process for what games you'll be covering in the future? So, Ken and I talked about this before the podcast, and we decided this is probably the best time and place to announce it. Um, Jade, Jade Empire will not take us very long to get through. I think we've mapped it out. It's going to take, like, maybe two months at the most. Mm. Um 
and we knew that we wanted to do something around the release of Mass Effect Legendary Editions. That left like a little tiny little gap because i think mass effect legendary edition they said something like spring or summer Mm -hmm. 2021 around those thereabouts um and obviously jade empire would not get us all the way there uh so we wanted to find something that was shorter uh something that could still fit the way we do games and also the way we talk about them something that could still get us a lot of interesting guests on here and also something that was a bit of a departure. So, you know, obviously playing Bioware games, especially modern Bioware games, they do have some very similar structural elements to them. And we end up kind of covering the same grounds thematically and mechanically uh, game over game. And while we love doing that, it's it's been two years y'all we can we could use we could use a bit of a a breather um a palate cleanser yeah yeah you know we're before we get moving into something new and i mean we've always you know we would run out of bioware games at some point anyways and i think we're at the point now where we want to just keep this thing going and and keep that engine burning but that would require us to think about what would we do that would not be a bioware game so a couple ideas were floated um, I'm okay with saying that some of the ones we brainstormed were like Persona, although that would be just a massive time commitment mm. for us. And I think that was like uh, the biggest detriment for that game is like the way that yeah. that game is structured makes doing the show as we do it way more like really time consuming. Intense. Yeah. Like very, very intense. Uh, and other ones like I had brought up the idea of Fallout New Vegas, which is one that I'm even thinking about today because of that recent H Bomber Guy video, which is excellent. Everyone should go watch. Um, but that would like structuring that game, I feel almost starts to pull at the strings of what makes that game work. So, um, we, part of our retrospective is that we do very structured, segmented takes. So Ken, what have we landed on? What are, I'm letting you announce this cause oh. I'm sure you're happy about it. Uh, we are going to be doing the last of us part one and part two, part one and part two. Oh, Maybe, and, and Last of Us 1's DLC left behind. Maybe oh, I can even convince boy. Eric to do American Dreams, the graphic novel. Ha <laughs> ha! No, I am excited to do this. Um, I, I have said before, much to Ken's chagrin, my only interaction with The Last of Us has been uh, watching through all the cutscenes of the stories for both games on YouTube, because uh, the game's... I think I watched my roommate play through part of the first one. I was like, oh, that doesn't look like it's for me. And then um, the second game, I was also just kind of of the same mood. And so I am willing to give it the old college try <laughs> and, <laughs> and go into this with an open mind and see how I feel about these games, playing them fully, start to finish myself. Uh, I mean, they're, they're very impactful games in the industry, yeah. and I'm interested to discuss that. And if I end yeah. up being the contrarian on the podcast, then I will be the contrarian on the podcast. But... And I think, I think for me, like, I, I mean, it's not a secret to anyone that pays attention to anything. Like, they are some of my favorite games. But I think when you get a game that is at least in, the, in sort of like the mainstream consciousness considered like one of the greats, mm-hmm. it, it is very easy for that sort of like vision of that game to become distorted and like the ways we talk about it don't necessarily reflect what is actually at like underneath the surface like really good about those games um because I think despite the fact that like a lot of people are like oh the story is great and like yes I, I agree about that but I think the ways in which that 
series, both part one and part two together, like these, uh, this very singular point A to B story, um, the way that they kind of, the, the way part two, like, really deconstructs part one and, like, it, its impact on the industry and kind of, like, looking at that game from, like, the lens of, like, kind of a, an era of, like, Sony mm-hmm. that it started yeah. also is very yeah. interesting. Um, so I think there's just, like, a lot more to say about those games that never really get said because it is always constantly drowned out in, like, the, oh, these are some of the best games of all time. Like, even even now, like, Part 2 is in the midst of, like, Game of the Year discussion, and I feel like the conversation around it gets very reductive in ways that I don't really like and, mm-hmm. like, ways that I've tried to combat in the things I've written about it over the past year. Um, so, yeah, I just, like, I would like, like, an extended multi-part retrospective to like really dig into mm-hmm. it and maybe have friends of the show come on that might also have similar like both similar and also like dissenting opinions uh compared to mm-hmm. mine and yeah i think it'll be good like it's i something like you, you asked like, what is our like decision making processes um i think i mean speaking for me i don't i can't really speak for you eric like the last of us feels like it is short enough that like it is kind of like a moment for us to kind of like test the waters of like how we're gonna do the show post Bioware and um, kind of like see what the reaction is to it because like I mean I'm you know th- there's a lot of moving parts when we do one of these shows that may- maybe isn't necessarily uh, outwardly seen by people that are just listening but mm-hmm. uh, like there's a lot to consider when we you know decide what we're going to do and what we how we're going to structure the show around those things so yeah I'm just I'm, I'm stoked for it like I'm low key more stoked yeah. for it than Jade Empire just because like I <laughs> Um, I feel like I have more to say about these games than I do Jade Empire. But granted, I haven't. I am just now getting to the point where I'm going to be able to like start my playthrough for the show. So maybe I'll have plenty more to say about Jade Empire. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, as as like a as like a final note on that before we go to the next one, I just want to say like again on decision making process, we always just want to pick a game that we think that y'all are going to want to hear us talk about. Because frankly, at the end of the day, like. You know, we could pick everybody's favorite video game, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that we're going to have anything interesting to say about it, mm-hmm. or that it's going to elicit interesting conversation. I think one of the ones that we had talked about, at least somewhat, was Final Fantasy X, because both Ken and I have a very large attachment to Final Fantasy X. I mean, Ken literally has it tattooed on his body. Mm. But um, also, I'm not sure if an entire season of that game would be that interesting to listen to versus like really being able to break down, you know, the, the tiny parts of what the last of us does and picking a game that we know will create good discussion that will give us the opportunity to bring on guests, guests who, by the way, we're reaching out to folks right now who have never been on the show before, Mm -hmm. uh, who can provide really interesting viewpoints. Like Ken said, um, we, at the end of the day like the two most important things to us are like number two we want to do something that we think we want to do that we're excited about but number one we want to do something that you want to listen to and that we Mm. think would be a good discussion because if we're not having a good discussion nobody's having fun so (laughs) um speaking of good discussions a second question if i can but i know you're both journalists in the video game space this is brody again 
Is there any chance you guys can explain how a clusterfuck like the Cyberpunk launch happens on the review side? A lot of the talk around it has seemed fishy, and it feels like everyone involved, from developers to reviewers, is in damage control mode. As a person on the outside, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on how reviewers have handled the situation and how things like this can be avoided. Um, <sighs> so this, well. is, I, this, this is very vague, and I'm taking this in good faith. Um, that... I think from the outside, it probably does seem like a clusterfuck because even just throughout the years, I've noticed that there are a lot of things that we have learned and have come to understand innately about the way the industry operates, but may not be apparent to mm-hmm. people who, even people who read, you know, IGN on a daily basis may not understand. Uh, one of the big ones is how pre-release copies work and how that process usually goes. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the framework of average video game review okay i work for videogames.com and (laughs) there's a there's the big hotness coming out uh it's it's the new shooty bang bang and shooty bang bang is a big game that we know will drive a lot of traffic because uh it's part of the shooty bang bang series it's the reboot of shooty bang bang that everyone has been waiting for uh the thing about shooty bang bang is uh we need to play it prior to the moment that it comes out that's a very standard thing for reviews you know the idea of a review at the end of the day is to provide a service to the reader by uh i mean even this is where you get into into the mud of things of what is a review Mm. uh but um usually it is something that is meant to provide some sort of enlightening perspective to the reader prior to them making a making a decision about the game is, is that fair i'm really no, trying hard to you're, not you're say good. I, I'm, it, I'm on board with what you're saying right now i'm trying to not say it's a buying guy because that's it's not when a you start guy. to get into very strange uh right. territories uh because you know Again, this is the place where I think a lot of people differ. You know, some sites write more critiques and some sites write more, uh, you know, like buyer's guides, technical guides, stuff like that. You know, Digital Foundry is not the same as the Polygon review. But um, to review Shooty Shooty Bang Bang, um, that means that you need to get copy of it before the game comes out. And usually even before the game comes out, there is an agreed upon embargo date. And what this means is that usually uh, either the publisher itself, sometimes in the case of an indie game, uh, the developer themselves, or uh, possibly a PR specialist, a third party from the studio, will organize which press is getting early access and will set up an embargo to say like, hey, three days before Shooty Shooty Bang Bang comes out, at 8 a.m pacific time is when you can publish your reviews and this is both to it it kind of serves a double purpose in that the pr or the publisher or you know that side of things they get this big press blitz on on one day it's all concentrated they get to really have that moment to themselves to really drive public attention and also it means for the reviewers although this is not always the case, <laughs> um, mm. they all have time to play the game and do not necessarily have to engage in a sort of rat race to get to the end of the game and publish a review as fast as possible. It 
gives everyone a little bit of time to breathe and produce a quality thing. Um, <laughs> usually these embargoes, uh, and again, I'm speaking largely and broadly, uh, are not necessarily signed ordeals. They are just like verbally agreed upon. Um, and if embargo breaks, um, you know, that there can be usually the repercussion is just that publisher isn't going to want to work with you again because you broke an embargo on them. So why would they do that? You can cover the game when it's out and not when it's before out because we don't trust you to not do that again. Um, and that's just kind of how it works. And it's actually not too dissimilar from how large swaths of entertainment journalism works. I know that books and movies and mm. other things have similar practices and you know, I, I feel like we outlined the reasons why they happened uh, just there, but um, that's usually how it goes. Uh, and if I was going to estimate an average lead time for how fast uh, press gets their hands on a game versus when the embargo rolls around, I'd say anywhere from a week to a week and a half is about the average. Yeah. Uh, and this like... year has been a little bit worse, surprisingly. Um, I've heard tale of many large games getting like less than a week's turnaround and stuff like that. But mm. by and large, I say a week to a week and a half is about the average. Um, you were going to say something, Ken? I would say yeah that that is generally that, that is generally where it is. Like for me, for like bigger games, I, I've had some uh, points where I've gotten a game like a month in advance mm -hmm. and that was like yeah. perfect like you know, there are some companies like atlas and nis america that i've worked with over the years like i got danganronpa 2 like a month before it came out and mm -hmm. that was ace and that was perfect and uh yeah. a lot of the uh, a lot of persona spinoffs i got like fairly early yeah before. yakuza and, like, yakuza zero i got like a month in advance uh which was all the more weird when Yakuza Like a Dragon came in much hotter. <laughs> but, mm. um, yeah, yeah, Sega particularly has been very good about that in the past. Um, maybe I've seen that theorized that that's because a lot of those games are games that have already been out in Japan right. and are coming over here now. So maybe the the restrictions around when those games right. can have their embargo drop is a little bit different, though I think Persona 5 was still out pretty early. Um all that being said, that's how it normally works with shooty shooty bang bang. Uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, <laughs> um, cyberpunk had a number of things that happened around it. Um, this is again, me speaking from my own experience. Uh, you can go online and read others experiences uh, for their own versions. I think there have been a few takes on it already to varying degrees of, accuracy let's say um and i've been disappointed by some of the takes on some of them but that's we can get into that in a moment but uh cyberpunk came in real hot real real hot uh, mm. i myself did not get access to that game until probably right around the time that it was why yeah i think my key specifically was live when the pc version uh, and it looked like mine is a pc key but uh when the pc version was live for all players mm -hmm. um and i know yeah. other people that only got access a day beforehand or like hours yeah. beforehand yeah uh, i uh, and like i'll say like fanbyte we got some keys 
like a couple days before and then finally like, i got a playstation key the day before it came out mm-hmm. and i have boonies internet anyway so like by the time i could actually play it uh it was like well and out um so like there was like a you know console codes were going out after reviews were live and yeah so the the version of the game that was sent out for the press who did get earlier access than that uh from what i understand they got about let's say a week i'd estimate of of early access to that version of the Mm game um was pc version and console version did not go out until much closer to embargo if not right at the game's launch um that has been kind of the primary thing that has been around cyberpunk reviews which is that people i mean and and to be completely to correct some wrongs i've seen in the public every review that i read you know like from the larger sites um gamespot ign and the such acknowledged that this game was buggy like i don't think i read a single review personally myself that did not note how buggy this game was at launch there are certainly reviewers who that factored in more or less for them but they all acknowledged it in some way uh the thing they couldn't have known because this stuff wasn't out there was how bad the current gen console version of that game is right and that was kind of the first part of the clusterfuck that happened uh and i think after that uh i mean cd project was out there in an an investor call i believe it was where they were saying that like the reason they had delayed so much and the reason they were having so much trouble getting the game out was getting it running on current gen consoles and i think what we saw at launch was what it was like that's hey this is what they managed to get running on current gen consoles mm-hmm. and that's what it looks like um so i think it then raises a question of did they you know maliciously decide to do this or did they just decide to do a thing i think the fact that they didn't send console code out until much later says a lot mm. about cd project red and the way they felt about that game uh that's only <laughs> inference but i can infer a lot <laughs> from that mm-hmm. um as far as how reviewers have handled the situation every site again this is the thing we don't have a roadmap for because this hasn't happened very often and i think there's been a weird especially from some takes that have happened recently from sites that made me very disappointed because they're sites that i've otherwise supported um they weirdly put the onus on reviewers in a way Mm. that both felt like actually inaccurate to what happened and also not recognizing the power that this stuff holds that like people want to read content about these games if they can't read content about these games they're going to go to other sites and so the fundamental structure of media encourages people to want to agree to embargoes and again like i said before embargoes are not an inherently bad thing like they usually operate to the benefit of both parties but in this specific case they did not operate to the benefit of both parties and certainly didn't benefit the readers of publications who were who had pre-ordered the the current gen consoles versions mm-hmm. of games expecting to get what was being reviewed and then the thing that came in so we saw outlets kind of address this in different ways ign did a current gen console specific mm-hmm. review and i thought that was a good way of doing it to basically say like hey we've had our hands on this version of the game and this is our rating for it separate from the pc version right. i think that's a good way to address that yeah 
Um, Especially other like, sites, like I'll tell you, like yeah. US Gamer, you know, for what pulse we still have, um, <laughs> where our review is going up pretty soon, actually, sometime this week as we are recording this. Um, mm. And I guess by virtue of us getting code later, uh, that just gave us time to really engage with what this game is and how it exists and also the conversation surrounding it. But that's not a luxury that every site has. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with some people who work on guides actually. And they were saying, yeah, you know, if we were like driving to do traffic on this game and like, it was one of our goals. Like I, you think of other games this year that have driven a lot of traffic, like animal crossing, new horizons, mm-hmm. having pre-release access for that helps reviewers. It helps guides so yep. much more. Like for it sure. is, I would say it's as important, if not maybe even a little bit more important, that you have that stuff built up because, A, that's something that the readers are going to want. And if you're trying to drive that traffic, that's important. You know, the review serves the purpose of informing the reader whether they want to buy this game or not. Uh, The guides serve a much longer tail purpose and getting early code for guides uh, helps those folks to not have to crunch and historically uh publishers and pr have been better about understanding that and i think it's become pretty frequent practice now that sites will get two codes and one will be it'll say like hey this one is for your reviewer and this one is for your guides writer and i feel like that's become very common practice now um but like all that said um I think my ultimate takeaway that I posted in like a discord somewhere or something like that was just everyone's going to be so much more skeptical of CD project red specifically right. at this point. Yeah. How can you not be yeah. like and- they've, they've so they've shown that this is the way they will treat the release of a game. And even if they go into the next one with the best of intentions, they it's kind of wild how this company that made Witcher three wild right. hunt has suddenly garnered so much ill will yeah and they were a company that has had like as long as i've been in this industry like they've been like you know one of the they've they've had such goodwill over the years not just because the witcher like they you know they do uh gog and that's uh yeah yeah like which had its own you want to talk you want to talk about gog let's talk about devotion yeah Mm. (laughs) like oh yeah it's just like i i mean you you summed it up very well like i in general, like, I have not been on, like, the receiving end of, like, a really awful review situation. Like, the, the only thing that, like, came close to, like, maybe appearing on the outside sketchy, like, was earlier this year, The Last of Us Part 2 had, like, a very, very primitive embargo yeah. that was, like, yeah. don't talk about the back half of the game. But I think, at least it was my, the way I felt about it is that that was very much them trying to preserve a very specific experience for people. And as much as I think it might have been to that game's detriment in terms of the conversations around it, I think, like, I gathered what they were doing and like i don't think that not being able to talk about the back half of that game and also like the instigating incident of that game um affected my the way i spoke about it because like it wasn't like oh i'm i am being told not to talk about the thing about that game that is bad that needs to be kept secret because it's Mm -hmm. gonna deter people from buying the game i think that was just an example of like you know embargoes often are like basically don't spoil shit and they'd been yeah and those are They've been that way for a lot of, like, I think Death Stranding had a similar limitation on the embargo where it said, like, don't post footage after a certain point. Yeah. And that was because they wanted to preserve some of, like, the larger things. And I think that's, to some extent, fair, especially in a game like Death Stranding where you can kind of 
get the gist of what a game is doing from its you know i think it was like the first half of the game was what you could show right. screenshots and stuff from it's not like that game drastically changes in the second half i think last of us part two is maybe the one difference i also thought that was a case where it's like you don't think we know how to write around spoilers <laughs> like that's the shit we get from publishers again the another main takeaway i'd love for people to recognize is that the shit people get from publishers we are like very few journalists if any journalists i've met who work professionally in this field care about what a publisher thinks of them or care necessarily yeah. about drawing the ire of a publisher it is much worse to draw the ire of a reader or much less a non-reader who just decides to make you the target of their anger right. online for days and weeks on end right uh that's the stuff that we think about at night mm -hmm. <laughs> so um that's the weirder part about some of this being foisted onto reviewers is that i think for a large part especially folks like cali plaggy and stuff like that like they they did the absolute best and i'd say they did well with what they could right and adapted to the way that things were and have also been like the journalists within the space have been calling this out since it happened like I, I'm personally surprised to see even, you know, sites like IGN, which you would think I, I as being one of the top dogs would not want to, to cause too much uh, rumble in the jungle over this. But like they were out there with a video within days being like this version of the game should not be for sale. Right. <laughs> like it should. This is a this is a bad version of the game. And we were not deliver like they're not delivering what they said they would. And this is like they were going ham on it in a way that I was like, okay, we've grown as an mm. industry. Like we are more willing to call this, you know, call the duck a duck, you know, it's, um, and so that's been heartening to see. And so that's why I get a little frustrated with some recent takes that have tried to put the focus back on reviewers, because it's right. like, these are the people who were telling you what was up in the first place. And yes, we did get put in a shitty situation. I think it's important. You acknowledge who controls the power in that situation and that it's not always easy for a site to just not do something i know there were a few that passed on the nda I, I think the guardian publicly said that they passed on the nda for cyberpunk and just said they would review it at launch right um obviously we did not have much choice and we did not have any nda mm -hmm. that came with ours uh, we barely had an embargo that came with ours because i think we got the key at the time of embargo <laughs> but um it's um yeah it's it's a little disappointing, but I feel like there are discussions being had now. They're at least right. moving us in the right direction. And I, I imagine it's going to spill over into the new year as well, because it yep. always does. And there, there have been people who I think because of the nature of how video games have become much more, uh, people are more aware of that stuff now because we were all in quarantine. And so people had to be stuck inside and they were like, Oh, we can play video games now. So you see sites like, the New York times and, and stuff like that covering video games in a much greater fashion. Um, and so some of those takes there, there was a, there was a line in the New York times article that got rightfully dragged. Cause they were like, people oh, right. get games months and months ahead of time that they no we do later. <laughs> and then they later edited to uh, like, it was like plenty of time, plenty of time ahead. And I was like, uh, still uh, wrong. Uh, yeah, you're getting there. You're, you're, you're getting warmer closer but still no cigar mm. um yeah it's mm. and so i think it's important that we try and just 
listen to people who understand and have dealt with this stuff before because we're going to tell you both like how it is and like i'm not saying that there's not issues with this there was a there's a thread today from gita jackson over at vice that i think summed up the actual issues with like review coverage and it mainly centered around the things we've mentioned here which is like that sites depend on this stuff for traffic and that embargoes in general can be a benefit to both sides but can sometimes in very rare fringe cases be wielded against things and that Mm -hmm. creates problems and you know every once in a while you get somebody who comes along who says that they're going to do that sort of thing and they can just kind of do that and it puts the customer at a disadvantage and so when we're at that point i mean the best the next best option you have is to make that decision to say hey we're going to call this out and call it like we see it and i think we've seen that from writers so yeah um yeah how this can how this can be avoided i don't know support support outlets okay that's how you can avoid this in the future is support outlets don't just go to websites when you want to read a review of cyberpunk 2077 visit your favorite websites if they have patreons if they have subscription options support them through those support small journalism sites places like uppercut crit that do valuable critical work that does not necessarily adhere to the release and review schedule like if you want good journalism you have to support good journalism and i think a lot of people pay lip service about this stuff too often Mm. even myself included um where we say we want good things but then we're not willing to support the good things Mm. and not just support them tomorrow but support them six months from now right and that's you've got to be that change you want to see right i think like something not even just like the uh like support and outlet side like don't buy games at launch unless you have or okay don't not say don't buy games at launch like if there is any doubt in your mind you can wait, like, a week or two and wait for, like, post-launch coverage to, like, find things like what happened with Cyberpunk. This is, like, by the, by the time that, you know, some of the star- stuff started coming out, like, what Cyberpunk had what, sold, like, what, 8 million copies across three yeah, platforms? Yeah, Like, that doesn't have to happen if everyone's not, like, so quick to, like, go pre-order and, like, get the most expensive version of everything without, like, waiting to see if it's actually worth it. And, like, I get that inclination because, like, I, I pre-order games that, like, I mean, great because I exist in like a place where like where i generally get the opportunity to play games beforehand and like know if i want to actually purchase it after the fact um but like cd Projekt red's next game maybe don't buy it at lunch like wait for all the embargoes to be cleared like all the all like the coverage that can come in from all the platforms Mm -hmm. can be out there um because like i mean we're i mean in a in its own way, like, it all came to bite CD Projekt Red in the ass, because oh, now yeah. they're, having to, now oh, they're yeah. having to give, like, all these refunds, and Sony delisted Cyberpunk from the PSN store. Um, so, you know, like, I'm not saying, like, don't be excited about things, but, like, approach things, even from developers that you fully trust, like, after The Witcher, approach them with, like, a little bit of skepticism. Like, yeah, I mean, that's basically where I'm at. Like, and and on a similar point, I would say, acknowledge that what reviews are is somebody telling you their opinion on a mm-hmm. game and whether they would recommend it. Reviews right. are not 
first of all, there's no such thing as an objective review. Right. Is So always read multiple sources, find reviewers that you agree with, and find reviewers you disagree with too. I read reviewers that I disagree with all the time because sometimes I will glean a better understanding of what a thing is when I read somebody else talk about it and say things they don't like about a thing. And I'll be like, I hadn't considered that. And mm. I I can now consider that, understand a worldview that is not my own. And right. on that note, reviews do not serve a purpose of justifying money that you have spent. Right. And I think in general, the culture of this weird, what do you think this game is going to score on Metacritic? And like the, the idea that when a game comes out, we need to talk about like, yeah, am I going to look and see who has the highest and the lowest score for a respective large launch? Like, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because I want to read the variety of opinions on a game and understand where each one is coming from. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to be like, Oh man, I can't believe it. They devastated this game. Oh my God. And then definitely don't turn it into, Oh my God, I pre-ordered this game and I really like it because I haven't played it yet, but I know it's good. So I'm going to go harass the writer. Mm. Um, don't do that. Just don't do that. Like it's like people are genuinely trying to give you an honest opinion of a game so you can make an informed purchasing decision or at the very least even if you've already decided that you've pre-ordered the game and you will play it in whatever state it's in first of all like rationalize that with yourself and understand what decision you are making in that moment and that you have made your bed and you gotta lie in it (laughs) Mm. um and i've done that with games too i have pre-ordered games knowing full well that they could come out and suck but um also like then look at the reviews it's just a way of seeing someone else's thoughts on it you might you might grow as a person reading someone else's i've read i've read reviews of games that i was not necessarily hot on that somebody else was really passionate about and i disagree with them but i i learned something new i grew as a person at the end of the day even if we do disagree that's it that's all it really is at the end of the day it's like okay you don't like this game i like this game ken and i have games that both of us individually like that we probably don't like of each other's but i'm still playing the last of us for this podcast (laughs) um speaking of the last of us yeah um nathan has got one last one here uh ken actually it's your turn sorry don't mean to, to yank that mic away from you uh Hey guys, just wanted to pop in and say thanks for two years of a great show. You're welcome. Uh, what's you guys' favorite game of 2020? Happy New Year. I gotta pick one. Can I, can I say like three? Maybe five? <laughs> uh, they say one. They say favorite game singular. Um, my favorite game of 2020 is picking between my five favorite games of 2020. Let me tell you about everyone. <laughs> um... Yeah, I had to do this earlier today. I guess since my list my list will be going up sometime near when this podcast goes live. Yeah, uh, at too. least at least for general consumption. So this is probably I mean, it's not like I'm spoiling anything. Who cares? Who gives a fuck if you know what my favorite game is before <laughs> I put it out there? Uh mine is Hades. Um I mm. really struggled between Hades and Umaragi generation for this year. Uh, but the more I just kind of went back and forth between the two, and especially the more I thought about what Hades is and what it means for that studio. Um, holy shit. I, I was already a fan of Supergiant before we got into like the, 
the multiple years of development that was Hades. Um, you know, I love Bastion, Transistor, Pyre, uh, and Hades is just the culmination of all of that combined with uh, like a setting that I love. I love mythology, uh, Greek mythology especially, and the best portrayal of Greek mythology I think I've ever seen in a video game. Uh, like, compare it to the likes of god of war which was basically like hey what if you had a bunch of gods that you could murder with your hands that that'd be neat right like it was this very even like hercules the disney special had this very like i mean it it is a kid's movie but it was like a very basic understanding of what those gods were like they weren't going to get into zeus's adultery in, Mm. in the hercules movie but um just the way that the the gods and the denizens of the underworld interact and the personalities of these characters and the way i i also have an essay going up uh sometime uh wednesday aka the day this this podcast is going live uh about hades and and why it's the game of the year and it's roguelikes or roguelites are so difficult to nail down story-wise i think because you kind of put this goal at the end and you're just making repeated sprints at the finish line um you look at things like slay the spire or faster than light and the goal is to keep beating bosses until you beat the final boss and that's all well and good but i think that makes every run feel like a binary success or failure you either Mm. make it to the boss and win or you don't and narratively that's hard to reconcile with like how do you how do you make the player feel good in that situation and how do you create a story around that where success is so often not the case of what happens and it feels like there have been plenty of games that have done story within a roguelite and have done it to varying degrees of success but i think the the thing that makes it all work for hades is super giant turn death into progress like you move Mm. that game forward by dying you will always die like death in a roguelite is inevitable you will die because you either beat the boss and that's the end of your run or your run ends earlier than that your run will always come to an end so don't put the story in the runs put the story in the in-betweens put the story Mm. in the stuff you're doing on a moment-to-moment basis you know the the repetitive actions that you do like picking an upgrade for your gun or your sword or your shield or deciding which door to choose or an encounter in a room and then have those narratives develop fluidly in a way that you like one of the things that i think is also very smart is that it's not necessarily telling a story from the beginning you enter that in media rest when zagreus starts his first escape from from hades and you yourself are learning about his motivations as he goes through repeated escape attempts you're not starting from square one with him and i think there's just so many wise choices in the storytelling in that game that just make it work and it's just a damn good game it's it's so incredibly good uh it's is the game that i think everyone needs to play from this year Hmm. Uh, ken how about yourself the lucky thing for me is that I don't need to go on like a full description about why 
My favorite game of this year is my favorite game of this year. <laughs> because we're, we're going to have an entire podcast series about it next year. Because my, my favorite game of the year is Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> hey, don't rule... No, we could not do Hades. There's no way we could do Hades. <laughs> There's no universe in which the format of that game works what we do here. At, at the most, we could do like a spoiler cast of Hades. Mm, but yeah. I think the window has passed for that one to happen. Yeah. Um, have you played Hades, Ken? Uh, a little bit. I... I'm not a person that has, like, the patience for, like, to be hitting my head against the wall until it breaks. So... Mm. Have you turned on God Mode yet? No, I don't know what that is. So, there's a setting in the game called God Mode, which is essentially their version of smoothing out a roguelite if you don't want to... And, like, to be fair, there are also a lot of upgrades in that game that you can get, like, additional lives in a run or increasing your base starting health that make it easier. But God Mode makes it so every time you die, you gain, like, I think it's 5% damage resistance up to, like, I think the max is, like, 60 or 80 or something. So, and that stacks run over run. So, basically, you will get to a point where you just have incredible damage resistance, and it's it basically smooths out the process of mm-hmm. getting through a run. And I know people that don't like roguelites and don't like action games, but they've been beating that game because of that mode. Mm-hmm. And so I would maybe recommend that if you find yourself butting your head against it too much. Okay. I'd also say unlock some weapons though. Cause I, as much as I eventually came around on the sword and the spear, um, like I needed to find the weapon where that game clicked for me for the, for me, that was the shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second I got the shield, I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like let's I like kill the bow. shit. The bow, the bow the is bow great. Was jiving with me when I was playing bow is great once you get to the part where you can start upgrading the weapons and unlocking different aspects of them the bow has a really cool one where you can load your cast into the bow and shoot it uh and that shit rules man (laughs) that does Mm -hmm. really cool shit um i'm looking forward to playing the last of us part two though for for the podcast yeah Uh, it'll be it'll be exciting ken somehow that is the end of our q a we did it here we did it um i guess just as a sign off you know we are norm dfm patreon.com slash norm dfm you can go support us if you would like we are freezing the patreon mm-hmm. for the month of january so i mean maybe if you want to support us you can wait a little bit we're good we're <laughs> good right now you know maybe hop on when we jump back in in january and announce our new plans because we are changing the structure of the patreon mm-hmm. but if you want to follow us in the meantime you follow us at twitter.com slash normdfmshow where we post all of the stuff that uh, Ken and I respectively do as well as uh, the new episodes of the podcast as they roll out, guest announcements, that sort of thing. We get new as art well today. As... Oh, we did get new art. Oh, it looks so good, Ken. I, I was really happy with the pod choice. I think my first choice was to have the 9S blindfold, but I think the, I think the pod was ultimately the correct mm-hmm. choice for me uh i love the blitz ball i love the little monokuma plushie i love all the things that are on that desk including the i guess we can reveal it now the guitar which is a reference to the last of us yeah uh, that was the hidden object that teased what we were doing next um yeah it's it's great new art it's very good um follow matt sh- h taylor on twitter yeah he yeah shout outs to matt excellent yeah. excellent artwork um until then folks have a happy holiday have a good new year we'll see you in january for the start of jade empire and uh until next time see you on norm dfm bye